Welcome to Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James, along with Dr. Dante. We're here to talk about your body, about your health, and how they are interconnected. And today's episode is particularly important because we're going to talk about your back. Now, why are we talking about the back? It's because everyone has back pain in their lives. Between 60 to 80% of all Americans at some point in their life will have back pain for some reason. And it can be someone in their 30s, it can be someone in their 80s. They come in every day for back pain. As osteopathic physicians, we both treat patients with back pain frequently. Probably one of the most common reasons people come to see us. Right, it's the reason most people know even that we exist. True. So given that it's it's our version of the enemy, let's, I guess let's frame the enemy. Well, and it's a prevalent enemy, isn't it? We got like 13% of uh, complaints coming into the office in any given year are due to some kind of back pain, whether it be low back pain, mid back pain, even upper back pain. Sometimes it's actually their butt. And sometimes it's their butt, sometimes it's their hips. Right. For, the, for all that matters. Right, and but that's diving too deep the into the meat. Like, let's, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, now, one of the main reasons we're talking about pain in your back is because of the expense of chronic pain, especially in the back. Tell us a little bit more about that, Dante. Sure, sure. So, for this uh, discussion, I guess, let's set, let's set the stage appropriately. Two-thirds of adults will have low back pain in their life. That's a statistic that's been thrown, along, thrown around a lot. It seems to be pretty accurate. What most people don't really comment on is that it'll usually happen in your 30s. That's the most common phase, which is just past what people will call like the young age, not quite middle age, but in that transition, like the early parenting years, that time period. Basically, when you're starting to settle down and like make what you're supposed to be a thing, that's when the specter of back pain says what's good. So um, not old, not young, and a bunch of kids running around the house trying to pick them up. Exactly. Just old enough to go, God, I wish I, can, I can't run because my, I threw up my back just old enough to go, hey, I wish I can do X, Y, and Z, but I can't, because you're still young enough to do, but you're not old enough to have resigned yourself to pain. To be fair, we challenge the notion of resigning yourself to pain in the first place, but that's what we're here for, right? Right. The prevalence of back pain is something like 13.1% across the board. That's an international statistic. So one of the big things, it seems to cut the board across ethnicity, across gender, across occupation, this, that, and the other thing. 13.1% of the population, the total cost of chronic pain, chronic back pain specifically. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, this number I had to fact check up, down, left, right in a thousand different ways because when I read this number, my, my brain went, what the hell? Like, that can't possibly be right. So, it costs about a hundred billion years, a hundred billion dollars per year to the U.S. government. And that's a combination of several things. Some of that's the medical expenses, which are relatively small actually. It was somewhere in the order of 10 million was the medical expenses. The rest of it was insurance claims and lost productivity. So for all the work that Mr. Joe Schmo was not doing, how much money is that company not producing? That's what went into that factor. So when you put together all of the things that never were, that could have been, and quantified, you get $100 billion per year. That's a lot of billions of dollars just because of your back. Exactly. And that's only the financial. That's not to say the time lost, because something, something, time is money. Something, th something, yeah, we could put a dollar value on it, but. Think about all the time lost. We talked about it's your 30s, it's your parenting years, it's your, hey, I'm just I'm old enough to know that my body isn't quite as spry as it used to be, but look, I still want to play rugby. I'm young enough to run around with my kids and still want to go out and play tag with them and right. chase them about. Right, and that's when yeah. back pain visits. That's when it begins for most people. 
Well, and it can be pretty expensive to treat in the medical field because then we often will order imaging, like x-rays and MRIs in particular can be expensive. Right. Uh, some of the treatments for back pain can be pretty expensive, whether it be injections or physical therapy. Um, and so it can, you can understand why we would want to talk about something this valuable. Right. And it's, it's one thing to talk about something valuable. It's also because of, I guess, the way we t seem to be, you and I, mm -hmm. it's not a thing to talk about something that's valuable and difficult. Like, look, we're not here talking about diabetes. We get it, diabetes is hard, but your sugars are this, we need to get it down to that, we need to help with your metabolism, so on and so forth. We have a framework that is reliable, and then it's just, you know, the details in between. Back pain is a different entity. Back pain, some folks get injections, some folks get PT, some folks see us, some folks walk it off, some folks go on disability. Like. Why does your back pain and my back pain lead to such different outcomes? Why is that beast so different from this one? It has the same name, right? But it's such a different entity. Um, well, and it's, it's really frustrating. Right. Because what's causing it? Most of the cause of back pain is considered quote unquote idiopathic. What does that mean? It means we don't know. Right. It just showed up one day, there's no injury, you didn't fall off a ladder, you didn't get hit by a car, you right. didn't slip on some ice and fall, you just woke up one day and your back hurt. Right. And, and you're like, what the heck, why is this hurting so much? Exactly. And the reason I, I think I used the phrase earlier, the specter of back pain, is because of the way a lot of the standard literature talks about back pain, it might as well be a ghost that just visits like the angel of death in Egypt or something like that. Yeah, what happens? You, it's you go to your doctor, he says, here's, here's some uh, Tylenol, here's some Motrin, here's some Vicodin, go and uh, walk it off and yeah, you'll be all right. Right, and not just walk it off, it's walk it off for specifically, uh, hey, Mr. So-and-so, I understand you have nonspecific musculoskeletal back pain. It seems that you will heal in six weeks. If you don't heal in six weeks, I'll order an x-ray, unless you have neurologic symptoms, in which case you're getting an MRI. Like there's no brain to it. There's no science. It's there's almost no like skill. running on uh, autopilot. Right, right. And I almost want to be angry about it, but then I understand that it's not necessarily the physician's fault because, hey, look, we were trained very similarly across the board. It's We're not trained to think about this um, the way we need to to actually solve it. Well, to be fair, part of why we're talking about it is because we believe we have some more insight than usual, but it's not easy to find a doc who's trained to know how to analyze the back in the way you need to because what we talked about this before sometimes you have a medical problem you need a medical solution hey I got diabetes let's fix your diet here's some metformin sometimes you have an engineering problem and there's no drug for an engineering problem you can't flex rule your way out of an injury and the mechanical problems need a mechanic right. to work on it I, I love this quote that you found from uh, Dr. Stuart McGill he says Clinicians often dismiss the need for a thorough investigation of patient's pain by stating that finding the pathological source is not possible. I believe that such clinicians are simply unknowledgeable and unskilled. That's a big statement by that right there. But he goes on and says, understanding injury pathways is non-negotiable because this is the cornerstone of excellent practice. We know what causes disc herniations. Schmerl's nodes, spondylolisthesis, osteoporotic fractures, torn spinal ligaments, facet arthritis, stenosis, to name a few. Finding these causes is not always simple. Just as a homicide detective must amass enough circumstantial evidence to become convincing, the clinician tests diagnostic hypotheses with more follow-up tests until the evidence becomes overwhelming. 
The great clinicians work at the acceptable level of uncertainty. There is no such thing as non-specific pain to the excellent clinician. Now, Dante, what does that mean to you? That, that's a pretty loaded statement right there. Right, right. It's basically a challenge to you know, size up and do better. So Dr. Stuart McGill, he's, he's not a physician. I should be clear about that. He's a PhD specifically in back uh, mechanics. He called himself the back mechanic, hence why I like him. He's, he used the same analogies we do. Well, and that's his book, Low Back Disorders, right, if, you, right. if you want to look at that. Right. It is the evidence-based prevention of and treatment of low back pain. So, hey, we found a guy who's successful, and his track record is amazing. That being said, um, he's not exactly the most user-friendly as far as clinical practice. What he does is he doesn't take cases. He studies people. He does research where he ends up using a patient, a subject, I should say, because they're not his patients, right? right, to evaluate. And you give him about five, six hours with him in your lab and he will walk away with some knowledge of what's going on. His, tr he, his people have kept track records of the people they've evaluated, the interventions, and then their outcomes. And these are not easy cases. By the time you see this fella, you've probably failed a good dozen doctors already. So you end up in this guy's place over in Canada and he's like, all right, let's do this thing. He analyzes you in ways that are rigorous and complicated by virtue of the complexity of the phenomenon, hence the six hours says a couple interventions, recommends a thing or two, and all of a sudden, I think he actually has a 97% success rate, which is ridiculous. That's impressive. Like, that's, that's better than most, impressive. like, that's ridiculous. But, again, six hours, and how do you marry those two? So what he does is he publishes a book, he writes, he teaches, he seminars to try to disseminate what he's learned about what the back do so that we can take some snippet of that and apply it in clinical practice. It's actually his writing, his um, research forms the foundation of how I evaluate my backs, or my back patients, I should say. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what the back does. Sure. I, I love how you brought that in. He's talking about, from a me mechanical standpoint, the back has some very important properties that it does that can lead to back pain. Right. I, th I think about the joints in the back. For example, every one of your backbones has at least six joints. That's a lot of opportunity for pain right there. Not, not just talking about the discs between the back bones, not talking about the ligaments and muscles there. So you have five lower back bones, you got 12 middle back bones, and you've got seven and seven cervical or neck bones. That's a lot of joints. Right. That could be problematic just by itself. Right. And keep in mind, it's just not that joint connecting to the joint above and below it, or the bone above and below it. It's also the, all the little articulations of that bone to all the other support systems and struts and ligaments. Essentially, if we're going to understand the back with any detail, we need to put on a biomechanical filter and talk about this not so much as a um, disease to treat. We might have to, well, not might have to, we will have to basically look at this like a structure, like a, like a structure. We have to analyze it. What is it made of? What does it do? What are its loading patterns? What is it designed for? What is its stress tolerances? What are its shear loads? We need to understand the back in its environment, not as this uh, nondescript thing. So back pain really isn't a disease. I, I think of back pain very much like I think a squeaky door hinge. A right. squeaky door hinge doesn't mean I throw a bunch of medications at the door. I put some oil in the hinges, get it to move around a little bit, and voila, the squeakiness goes away. Right, right. I mean, I guess if we're going to run that analogy, it's something like, hey, my door's squeaky. I guess I could put on earplugs. But no, we have WD-40 for a reason, right? Right, exactly. So let's talk about the back. As far as what it does, that's actually a way more loaded statement than uh, 
you would think initially, because just defining the back in and of itself is confusing for some folks. I've had patients Very say, hey, complex. my back hurts. Very complex. And they're pointing at their hip, they're pointing at sometimes their shoulder, sometimes they're pointing at their neck, sometimes they're pointing at the thing we call the lumbar spine, which is like the small of the back, just over where the glutes are, where the butt is. So let's set some terms. What are we talking about today? What is the region of interest today? So when we're talking about the back, we're thinking of uh, the lower backbones. So that's the bones that sit on top of the hips and then the middle backbones that support our ribs, essentially. So not the neck, not the hips, just the back itself. Fair enough. Although I will venture to say that the SI joint deserves particular uh, notice. It's not- I'll give you that. I'll right, right, right. It's yeah, not the hips sure. yet, but it's the place but where the back well meets be. the hips, so. And there's a lot of interplay there. Exactly. A lot of interplay. Um, there's a underlying theme in a lot of how we analyze the body that everything's connected, and we mean that in the most literal form. So when you say the back, most folks say, oh yeah, this small spot right here, but when I hear the word back, I'm thinking everything quite literally from the top of your skull down to the bottom side of your big toe. And I don't mean that facetiously, like that's actually what I'm gonna evaluate in my office that day, because your quote unquote back pain could be a failure in any of those points, or maybe even some others. But for the sake of- It could be a rugby. reflection of other things that are going on exactly. that are just showing up in the back, for sure. Right, right. Is the back itself damaged, or maybe the back is just the point of failure for a bigger thing? Is the back compensating for weakness elsewhere? I mean, then it has to activate extra musculature that normally isn't activating for that purpose. Right. So I guess let's introduce this idea. The back has to do a lot of things, and that's, it's hard, whenever you have a structure that has to do a lot of things, you're setting up for injury. Sure. Um, it's not just a stability. So the spine, right, that's the vertebrae that holds up the back, um, is covered by a bunch of muscles. The muscles mm -hmm. move the back and so on and so forth, all that good stuff but that doesn't give you the full picture. There's this idea that the lumbar spine, which is the area we're talking about, is typically a structure of stability. So right. it's the scaffolding it's that you're bearing weight, on. if you will. Exactly. Acting as a shock resorber right. to some extent. But it's not even just that, because if it was just the stability structure, then why would it have all these joints? Why do we have movement in it at all? And so, there's a lot of movement. Exactly, so it's sometimes, movement. right, it's sometimes a stability structure, sometimes it's a mobility structure, and it has to flip between those two roles all the time, and it shows up in the musculature. And it has to do that seamlessly, which right. is pretty complex. Right, and the way it actually does that is it has, so let's introduce this idea. You have mus muscles, and most people think, oh, muscles move things. Right, they're but, thinking they're biceps, or they're quads, or some big muscle group they're familiar with. Right, right, but that's not always the case. A lot of the muscles in our back are designed to not move, which sounds weird as heck unless you understand the concept of tension, so what happens is, we have muscles that are movers and muscles that are stabilizers, muscles that fire on both sides in all directions to make the area stiffer versus a muscle that pulls and makes the piece move. Well, and many of those stabilizer muscles are small comparatively, and so they're kind of difficult to isolate right. for someone who's unfamiliar with their body. Precisely. So what ends up happening, and I'm not gonna assume that this is all back pain, but you have to understand that when we talk about why is the back hurt, why is the back so complicated, it's because we have a structure that is sometimes mobile, sometimes stable, sometimes we're talking about the back bones, sometimes we're talking about the back muscles. 90% of the time in our job, we're talking about the back ligaments. And you Large have to know. majority of time, for sure. Right, right. You're looking for a point of failure in a beautifully designed machine. But unless you know that the machine is a thing, you won't even know to look. You'll just say, hey, your back hurts, have some flexoril. And you know, it's important to, to note that the back has a natural controlling system that's trying to maintain stability and balance. We've talked about balance in the past. The back is the 
perfect example of how the body wants to stay in balance. We use input from our eyes and our ears to tell our back muscles, well, I'm tipping over. I need something fired off to get me stabilized. Or if, um, if you're losing or you trip or you fall and then the back muscles try to stabilize to keep you upright. It's an amazing system that's built for a natural stability. It's almost like it's a bio gyroscope right. to a certain extent. Right. And I don't know if that fully captures the thing because like you said it to me and I understand you 100%. But no, bio gyroscope kind of captures it really well because of all the reasons you just mentioned. It's constantly moving. It's never quite still. It's a shifting fulcrum. All the nice little analogies we like to use. But that's the most accurate picture of it. It's sometimes it's an engine. Sometimes it's a fulcrum. Sometimes it's a lever. Sometimes it's just the back. Sometimes it's, you know, something more insidious like a broken part. But um, as the study that made a lot of our back pain protocols cited, 97% of back pain will never show up in imaging. And of that 97% that doesn't show up on imaging, 70% is quote unquote a sprain or strain. And that's kind of where the story ends. But we're like, no, 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 no. It's not just a sprain it's or strain. That. It's more than Which that. damn muscle is sprained or strained? Let's fix that one or whatever the heck is making that fail in the first place. Don't just say, hey, it's a strain, walk it off. Yeah, we've got to find out what's the cause. What are they, what's, what in their life, in their environment, their surroundings is contributing to this every day? Because the, the back wants to be stable and balanced. The body wants to be stable and balanced. But if you have a continued negative input into the system, you're going to have continued pain. So where is that input coming from? Right. And as tragic as it is, most of the time, that pain is something that is treatable extremely easily but only if you know that that's a thing. For instance, one of the most common causes for discogenic low back pain, that is pain in the discs of your back, not necessarily- and We're not talking 70s pain. disco music here. We're... I can imagine that causing discogenic <laughs> back pain, actually, we really play with that, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, the way you cause discogenic back pain in a lab is you end up taking a lumbar spine, you flex it forward, that means to lean forward, you slouch, you, you slump. Forward. And then you sit on a vibrating platform mm -hmm. and you go, when the hell am I sitting on a vibrating platform flexed forward? And then I tell you, hey, when you drove a car to get to work. Exactly. Does that make sense? One of the most common industries, one of the most common things people do for a living, especially men, especially men with, I think, below college level education is to be a, a long haul truck driver. Right. And if that's the most common thing they do, that's their pain. That's the pain of a long haul truck driver, this discogenic thing. And you tell me it's non-specific, and I'll tell you you're not good enough to understand what's happening. And we've both seen truck drivers in our office repeatedly. Right. It's a common thing we deal with. Like it's it's common enough that we have a name for it. Other versions of this is sometimes you end up with a back pain called facet arthropathy. This is a different demographic we talk about. Let's talk about a gymnast. Mm -hmm. You get somebody who's Someone who's doing a lot of back handsprings and flipping around bars and, and ropes and Exactly. And, Float forward extension moments, backward extension moments. Specifically, let's say she, I'm going to say she for a reason actually, has been training as a gymnast since she was maybe six years old. She had a massive growth spurt. She just went from being four foot two to five foot seven. And she's learning how to use her new lanky body, doing all the things she's learned how to do before. She bends backward and she goes, ow, every time she bends back. And you say, hey, non-specific low back pain, walk it off. And I'm saying, hey. No, no, let's get into this. Right, right. There's something we could do about this because maybe your quote-unquote non-specific back pain is facet damage. Maybe it's facet arthropathy. Maybe it's a pars fracture. These are the obvious ones. Maybe it's just strain and you go, okay, fine, it's strain, walk it off, rest. But you try telling a gymnast to rest, she'll find another doctor. Right, yeah, that's not good enough. You try to, you try to tell them, 
let's just give you a, a non-steroidal. That's not going to be good enough. Right, right. So the question is, what can we do to make things better? That seems to be the theme, right? What can we do to make whatever the standard is better? If the standard is non-specific low back pain, walk it off, give it about six weeks, have some muscle relaxants. By the way, don't do full bed rest because bed rest is bad, but too much rest is worse. But if you exercise, it also gets bad. Wait, what are we talking about again? If that's what the norm is, let's talk about what's better. So we'll find it and fix it. Yep. Here's a cool fact. There's actually no correct way to sit. In fact, if you sit the way many folks tell you to sit, no matter what that way is, I can almost guarantee that after some duration of time, you will have back pain. What prevents you from having pain in your back isn't finding the perfect stance. It is actually finding the way to move gracefully between positions frequently. And that is not the same thing. Fortunately, we have a lot of tools at our disposal to work with backs, and it's not limited to medications and injections, uh, even exercise. There are other things we can do. Right. So why don't we talk about some of the things we offer as osteopathic physicians that can help patients? What can they expect when they come to see us? So let's start with um, the lens that we'll see those patients through, right? Because. Yes. If all our treatment comes from our understanding, then the way we understand is our biggest weapon. That's really our biggest tool to combat the issue that is back pain, to get these patients back into health, right? Because knowing is half the battle. Something like that, right? Something knowledge is fundamental. Yes. Insert rainbows, right? Yes, right. So the thing that makes the back pain phenomenon capable of being evaluated is knowledge that the back pain itself isn't the disease, but the symptom of some sort of part failure, some sort of pathology elsewhere. So on those, in that 3% where you have overt trauma to the back, that's easy. Everybody um, who knows up from down medically can manage that. It's this 97% with the nonspecific stuff we're talking about, just to get right. that clear. Because sometimes the back pain is actually an aortic dissection. There's no wiggle room with that. We know what to do, go now, ER, surgery, Make it happen. Yeah, that is not something we are going to take care of from an osteopathic standpoint. Right. We're not talking about those back pains. We're talking about the back pains that, for lack of a better term, are invisible to the standard medical eye. Does that make sense? Yes. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. The back pain that normally would just get an anti-inflammatory, maybe a muscle relaxer and a couple of weeks of rest and right, right. see how you do. So that's the one we're talking about because some of them get better. A lot of them get better-ish. Some of them... Uh, don't get better. Some of them never get better until something is done about it. So what we bring to the table first is the ability to evaluate. Why? Because we're, one, we're trained to look at the anatomy, to palpate. That's a big deal, right? To feel yeah, where there's aberrations. Put our hands on the body to, to figure out what's going on with it, for sure. Right, right. Because if you tell me you have back pain right on a, in the middle of the small of your back, and I put my hand there, and there's you know a vertebrae just twisted out of place, and the muscle all around is sore and sprained, Okay, fair enough. Let's just move that vertebrae back into place. I wish it was that easy half the time, but that's kind of the spirit of the thing we're talking about. And well, and to to be truthful about it, some of them are that easy. Uh, I find the most difficult ones are the ones that have had pain for a while. Exactly. If you give me a fresh back pain, I can probably get them relatively well, relatively quickly. It's the ones that have been prolonged and adapted to and maladapted to that become more work, but that doesn't make them lost causes. It just right. means we need to do more work. They've just been smoldering for a while. They just might need more treatment exactly. for a longer period of time to achieve the results that they, they desire. Right. And I tell my patients very upfront, if, I'm gonna, if we're going to agree to this relationship where I'm going to try to help you take care of yourself and get this pain gone, there's going to be an endpoint. At some point, 
I'm either going to tap out and say, I gave you everything I got and I don't know and I'll be upfront about that, or we're going to beat this thing together. And I'm happy to say a lot of my patients beat this thing eventually. They do. And when you go in and see an osteopathic physician for your back pain, it really is a team effort. They're working together. Right. You do have to recognize that if you've had back pain for a year, two years, five years, ten years, that one treatment is likely going to be insufficient. There is going to be a continuum that you're going to work together to get the relief you want. And as much as we'd love to touch you and have it all disappear and stay disappeared on the first try, chances are you're going to see us a, a few times. Exactly. Because as much as I would love to say that I'm, you know, going to fix your back, miracle, boom, done, that's not, that's not reality. That's not a reasonable expectation. Chronic issues need a chronic solution. Acute issues, we got a chance here. But right. it all begins with something we call the structural exam. What is that? So our structural exam is going to look specifically for imbalance in your back. So we're going to look and see how are your shoulders uh, sitting? Are they, is one higher than the other? Is one forward or backwards? We're gonna look at your hips to see whether or not your hips are rotated. We're gonna look at the back itself, at the vertebra, those backbones. They can tell us if they're turned one way or another. We're going to put our hands on your back. We're going to find out where it hurts by pressing on your back. We're going to do a good thorough neuro exam, neurologic exam. What does that imply? That means we're going to test your reflexes. We're going to test your strength and your ability to sense touch. Because a neurologic exam is going to tell us whether or not this is something we need to treat conservatively with osteopathic manipulative treatment, or is this something that's going to need imaging or emergent treatment? That's going to be a key for us to determine where we're going with our treatment. And then on top of that, we're going to have you walk. So one of the cardinal changes with back pain is that it can affect your gait because you're trying to walk in such a way that you don't hurt as much. And that will give us a lot of information about what muscles are involved, what structures are involved, and what are we going to need to focus on to treat. Right. So once we get that data, once we do our structural exam, we can start to make recommendations. Hey, it seems like you walk this way. Perhaps you should walk that way. Oh, doc, I can't walk that way. Why? Because it hurts. And then we can make a more targeted intervention. A lot of the times my patients will have an issue where let's say they have their back pain. I do my evaluation and it looks like their psoas, which is a muscle that connects the leg to your back so that you can walk, seems to be holding a lot of that tension. And then I let them know, hey, look, it looks like this seems to be not necessarily the culprit, but one of the chief players in this problem. If we get this to open up, if we get this to move more appropriately, that might get you relief. And I, I tell them that, I ask them permission, then I treat it with one of the modalities that we're trained in. And if it improves and you know, they feel better, That's hey, great. we're on the right track. Doesn't mean they're out the woods, because they still have to start moving appropriately. So what ends up happening is our osteopathic treatment gives them the window to move better, which is different from saying we remove the pain, because if they still move terribly, all the adjustments in the world isn't going to fix something that's moving terribly in the first place. It has to be part of a greater right. system. Well, I'm glad you brought up the psoas. You might know the psoas is the hip flexor muscle, and it is a common cause of back pain. Why? Because we in America, we sit down a lot. We sit down at our computers. We sit down on our uh, lazy boy at home. We sit down uh, do you actually have a lazy car. Uh, well, I don't, but some people do. Fair enough. <laughs> they sit down in their cars for extended drives. And what happens when you sit down with your hips all bent like that, that muscle tightens up. And it, that muscle attaches to your lower back. 
to L2 and L3, right in the middle of your low back. And when it attaches there, it can pull that back out of alignment. So you might come in and say, doc, my low back's killing me. And then you wonder why we're pressing on, on your belly. Well, we're pressing on your belly because we're checking out your hip flexors because your hip, hip flexors just may be tight. And if we get that hip flexor to loosen up, the back pain can magically Quote disappear. unquote. Quote unquote. Right. And then sometimes you can even see it. Some of the folks I've seen have hips that are so tight that when they lie down on the table on their back, their back is arched like a bow, ready to like be released and fire off an arrow, arrow being against their spine. Right. No wonder they're in pain. Yeah. And all we're doing is taking down the tension in that bowstring, and all of a sudden they're feeling great, never knowing that there was a bowstring in the first place. There's actually a phenom- there's actually a name for the phenomenon. You call it a lower cross syndrome. It's not all of low back pain, but since we bring up the psoas, let's elaborate on the case. There's this concept of antagonist and agonist muscles. Sometimes, um, actually not sometimes, all the time, for every muscle contraction, there's something else that has to relax for it to move. So let's say we're talking about the arm. If I'm going to reach forward, with the muscles of my arm, the things that reach back have to be off for me to reach forward. Otherwise, they have I get to loosen up. Yeah, they loosen up essentially, so they can allow for movement. Right. Yeah. So the psoas, its agonist, its antagonist muscle is something called the glutes. That's the butt muscles. So the psoas and the glutes have this relationship where if one fires, the other one relaxes, and vice versa. When the psoas is chronically tight all the time because you've been sitting too long because you got a desk job, which is common, right? Right. What ends up happening is the glutes because of the tightness in the psoas are chronically inhibited. What does it mean for a muscle to be inhibited? That means that it cannot fire the way it ought to. And why is that a big deal? Because the glutes, um, from the evidence we know, is one of the primary things that protects your back in movement. Right, so the psoas is basically yelling, and the glutes are like, I'm just gonna be quiet here because they want all the attention, so I'm gonna let them get all the attention. Basically, and then you think, oh, I can get this away with stretching and all that type of stuff, but the stretching the psoas only makes it worse because it pulls at the back harder, makes the glutes shut up even more. And all of a sudden, we're spinning our wheels from foam roller to massage thing to chiropractic to you know anything, whatever, and it doesn't get better until somebody says, hey, sir, I realize that you have gluteal amnesia, which is a PT term, actually, a physical <laughs> therapy term. It sounds dramatic Your glutes as are all forgetful. Heck. Right, right, but it's this idea that your psoas has gotten so tight, you've been sitting on your table on your chair for so long that you've actually forgotten at a technical level how to use your butt and you go that sounds kind of funny but that's a big deal because your well, butt it's a, it's a pain, pain it's a pain butt. right yeah we could say it's a pain in the ass that's yeah, what, really what right. it is and the thing is that butt protects your back why because your glutes aren't just the muscles that look nice your glutes are the things that cause you to walk your glutes are the other half of walking your glutes are also the thing that keeps the psoas in line let's flip the equation a little bit if the psoas is the muscle that pulls at the lumbar spine and it's the agonist and the antagonist of the glutes, if the glutes can fire, the psoas can shut up. Right. And if the psoas can shut up, that means the back gets to take a break. And then all of a sudden, the back feels magically better. Right. So one of the things we can do with our structural exam, with our analysis, is we can look to see if you have this phenomenon. We lie down on your stomach. We watch you extend your hips as in lift your foot off the table while you're lying down on your stomach, and we watch how you fire, because there's an order to it. It's not just some random, oh, you don't just float into space like, you know, something out of Minecraft. There's an order of operations. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not yeah, pixels yeah. yet. We're, we sometimes feel that way, but we're not there yet. Right, right. So what ends up happening is your hamstrings should fire, and then it's going to be followed by your glutes, and then it's going to be your opposite side quad, and then the rest of your, like, what happens is there's, there's a firing sequence that gets the whole back to raise in sequence. Fire. And if it happens, then you're good to go. But if it doesn't happen, that means, let's say this, if you don't have your glutes to pull up your hip, 
then somebody else has to do the job or else it won't go, right? Because you're going to move your hip. If your glutes can't do the job, that means somebody else has to do the work. And who's going to do the work? It's going to be the muscles that hold up your back. So it'll be the low back muscles, erector spinae, the right. paraspinal muscles. Right. And those aren't high-speed muscles, man. Those no. are those are slow, like first gear, grinded out muscles. Those aren't the ones designed to move stuff. They're the ones meant to hold you down. They don't like extra work. Right. And you wonder why you hurt your back if you're using your support muscles for movement because it's not an, it's not an arbitrary difference. The support muscles are support muscles because they're designed to contract long and slow. At a technical, at a biochemical level, their job, their, the motors they're built with contract long and slow and they're hard to fatigue. But they're not meant for high torque, they're not meant for high power. The moment you make something of that sort go into a high power mode, something's gonna shred. So they're more like a, a diesel train rather than a, an a F1 bike. type of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've got all of this, this stuff going on. And the, the great thing about an osteopathic physician is we've got tools. And, and we're not just talking about osteopathic manipulative treatment. We're, we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But there's a number of things that we can do to help with this kind of stuff. Right. But uh, it starts with the eyes that see, or the hands that see. We use that metaphor a lot because I can see how you walk, but I'll know what I'm saying when I put my hands on your back, on your glutes, on your hamstrings, and go, hey, that thing's not firing. And you're not going to know that until you put your hand on the damn thing. Right. And, and then working on our, our way up the back, we can really track what kind of strain patterns are tracking all the way up in the back. because. You know, if, if I put a little bit of tension on the left side of your hip and that's going following that hip flexor up to L2, well, I'm pulling you to that one side, but the rest of the back wants to be straight up because your eyes want to be level and your ears want to be level. Right. So you're going to have back muscles activating on the opposite side moving up the back. So unless we treat all the way up there, we might not get the, the strain pattern corrected. Exactly. Because... It's one thing to say, hey, your hips are crooked, let's straighten you out. What if your hips are crooked because your legs are of a different length? Right. Some folks have, here's a fun fact, people have different leg lengths and not all of them matter. Sometimes you can have a, a leg that's like maybe a few millimeters shorter and you walk it off and nobody ever cares. But sometimes your leg length discrepancy is big enough that it actually makes a difference. And it hurts. Right, because you end up with that crooked architecture that you mentioned. If the foundation, if your back is the leaning tower of pizza, Pizza? Pizza. <laughs> we're, we're hungry. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. You tell me that you're not going to have back pain when you have a crooked back. You know what I mean? Right. It's an right. asymmetric load. It's susceptible to different kinks and pressures and gives. And all we have to do is lift the foot. Sometimes we get lucky. Sometimes the legs are actually the same length and the hips are just off because you sit in a funny position. So we square off the hips and all of a sudden, hey, doc, I feel straighter and taller and all that good it's stuff amazing. in the back is gone. Yeah. Sometimes you straighten the hips and their legs are still crooked and we go, sir, this is the appropriate time for you to have something called a heel lift of maybe, I don't know, three, quarter, yeah, quarter, in, quarter, quarter inch, inch sixteenth yeah. inch, whatever. Three eighth inch. Right. And then you put them on and they feel like, hey, doc, I feel stable for maybe the first time in forever. And you're like, good job. Where's my copay? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, and We don't actually say that, by the way. Yeah, the copay no, comes up front if we ever get it ever. <laughs> but you get yeah. the idea. It's yeah, mission it's, accomplished. It fixes. The, we found it. We fixed it. And then we'll leave it alone. Right. And if we found something and we haven't fixed it yet, then we have other tools. Now, um, I, I think we may want to interject a little bit of the osteopathic manipulative terminology again, just to remind folks. Right. These um, are foreign words, after the, all. These are, these are new terms for you. 
and we'll try to define them throughout the episodes as they come about. Um, a common technique that we use for the back, um, I like to use counter strain quite a bit. And it works really well, especially for the lower back. The interesting thing about counter strain is you find a strain pattern in your back, i.e. hip flexors, tightness, causing the L2 or L3 to be out of alignment. You find tender spots along the front of the hips that correspond neurologically to the lower back. All I have to do is press on that tender spot and then move your legs around a little bit until that tender spot disappears. L2 is in a happy place. Everything resets, your pain receptors reset, everything loosens up, I put you back into place, and voila, your right. pain goes away. It's amazing how this stuff works. Right, and there, there's an underlying neurology or neuromuscular physiology that needs to be acknowledged here. People forget that they're trainable. Like we think about training for athletes, but no, everybody's trainable. It works for both positive and negative. If you sit all the time, you're training your body to be seated, and then you wonder why it hurts to stand. The actual reflexes, the way your brain is set up, the way your perception, the way your uh, spine and everything is uh, designed, it will habituate to the things you do chronically. So if I spend all my time sitting down, I will get really good at sitting down because that's what I'm doing all the time. Likewise, we can glitch out those systems. A lot of our treatment techniques are different ways to either via leverage or time, glitch out these systems to put them into somewhere else. So that counter-strain technique you, you mentioned what ends up happening is what? We shorten that muscle belly. Mm -hmm. We shorten that muscle so much that it has no idea what the heck is going on anymore. And then after a while of going, hey, there's nothing here going on, it okay. relaxes. And there's this window you have where you can reposition that muscle and teach it, hey, Mr. Soaz muscle, you can get longer and it's okay. And it goes, what, for real? And, and you, you put it there. You don't have to cry. Right, right. <laughs> you don't have to be whining. Right, you guide it there and then the psoas muscle is, I guess, quote unquote, happy. It's loose, it's limber and your patient's it's good chill. to go. Now, I know we're dwelling on the psoas a lot because it's just a good example. It frames the style of what we do. There's other forms of back pain. For example, one of the other big forms of back pain is something related to um, arthritis. Different, di different beasts, different phenomenon. Sometimes you have something called facet arthropathy. Sometimes you have something called degenerative disc diseases. That's my favorite thing to read in a radiology report. Right. Nonspecific finding, degenerative disc disease, otherwise normal examination. And I'm like, thank you, Mr. Radiology Man. So their discs are right out and they're getting smaller. Okay. Right, right. Maybe bulging a little bit here or there. Right. But what happens is I'll take these patients and I'll test them and they won't hurt from the same thing. So if the glute amnesia, if the lower cross syndrome, that's the name of this whole SOAS story we told, by the way, that's called the lower cross syndrome. And we're going to have a good, a good episode on this. In oh, the future yeah, yeah. Too. We're going to dive gonna deep, man. We're going to dive real You're deep. You're going to love it. But um, sometimes that's not where the pain's coming from. Sometimes I get, oh, doc, I'm fine sitting down. I'm fine standing up, but it's whenever I um, stand for a long time, specifically when I stand for a long time, or whenever I have to carry something, when I have to shift something, when I have to move. And I say, hey, when's the last time you jumped? And they're like, why the hell would I jump? And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? And they convey that they can't do those agility, those nimble things because that ballistic loading hurts them. And I'm like, what do you mean ballistic? They don't say it like that, obviously. Right, but they're like, right, yeah, right. yeah, I wish I can carry my kid or run around, but, but every I time I accelerate, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I get the picture of a back that's unstable, a back that can't buckle down and uh, stabilize so that it can do some more fun things. So what makes a spine unstable? Maybe it's the arthritis. Maybe the bone has worn away so that that tight seal has become a little bit looser. Maybe the muscles are fatigued. Maybe there's a bone spur pointing at a muscle, irritating it so much that it can't fire. 
or maybe there's a ligament in there that's just it's so irritated and so inflamed that it doesn't want to stretch. Right, right. I'm not going to do the psoas thing. I'm not going to do the counter strain thing on those backs. Nope. We're going to lie them down and we're going to distract that spine. We're going to pull it apart. I mean that technically. We're going to lie yeah, you we're, down. We're not going to take you apart one by one. but Right, uh, right. But if ever you've seen the medieval torture rack thing, I know this is kind of putting a weird tone to what we do, but it's something in that vein, except with a significantly smaller magnitude because we're not doing the medieval torture rack thing. Right. But it's the idea of pulling the spine apart. People think that, oh, my back hurts. I should get the... You know that thing people used to buy where they'd hang upside down yeah, and hope they get better? Table. They still get them. Yeah, it never works. <laughs> but there's a reason for that. Because the theory is right. The execution's the problem. Because the right. theory is, oh, if I can just decompress my spine. Because they'll say, it, oh, I feel so heavy. I feel locked down. If someone could just pull me apart, I'd feel great. Right. And they get the decompression thing. They get the, what do you call it? The hanging thing? The inversion table. The inversion table. Yeah. Hoping that it'll work. But here's the thing. Our body's not that stupid, man. If you hang upside down and you have a spine that's intact, your back is going to go hey, I should probably buckle down so that this doesn't get ground and fall apart. So, so every you're time saying you are not a bat. Down, right. <laughs> you hang upside down, your back goes, I'm going to double my contraction. So what happens? We lie them flat, and then we stretch them apart gently, and then they decompress, and then they go, ah, that's the relief I'm looking for. You hear that magical, ah, and then you're like, fair enough. And then you tell them what just happened, and then you explain to them what they can do to themselves, which is not by an inversion table. Right. Because sometimes the best thing to do for a back that's like that is to decompress. Lo and behold, sometimes the best thing to do to decompress a back is walking. God forbid it's actually walking. But there's a way to walk. We need to teach them a new way to walk. Well, and as osteopathic physicians, we'll come together with you, develop a plan to do that, to right. get you better. Ultimately, as we've said before, we'll find it, we'll fix it, and then we'll leave it alone. Right. And it's this idea that and it's a big deal to, to finish on or to, to just articulate cleanly. It's not that there's one move that fits all. It's this idea that every case, every patient is an individual with their own sets of problems and manifestations. So I have to give, we have to give these examples because the psoas um, syndrome in the gymnast is different from the discogenic pain in the truck driver is different from the old man with arthritis. If I use one formula, if I use my arthritis protocol, for the gymnast, I'm gonna hurt her. And if I do the bending thing for a gymnast to a discogenic back pain guy, I might herniate that disc. Right. So it's not just that we're gonna find it, fix it, leave it alone, it's that we're actually gonna listen and evaluate. We're gonna see with these hands what's going Absolutely. on. And then we'll say, hey, I found it, fix it. The back is an amazing thing, folks. We all have one, we also take good care of it. And that's what we do as osteopathic physicians is we help you take care of your body. We help you take care of your health and see how it's integrated together. Thank you for joining us for the Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast. Again, I'm your host, Dr. James, along with Dr. Dante. What up? Next week, or next two weeks, excuse me, we are going to be talking about ankles. Hope to hear from you then. Thank you for listening to Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rollin' Bones Pod, or shoot us an email at rollinbonespod at gmail.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N Bones, P-O-D. Rollin' Bones is brought to you by the University of North Texas and Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. Executive producer Brenda Jaskulski, producer Rob Upchurch, and medical advisor Dr. Saj Survey contributed to this podcast. Medicine is a constantly changing science and art with various approaches from practitioner to practitioner. This podcast presents the Roland Bones doctor's views of osteopathic medicine and osteopathic manipulative treatment and will be as evidence-based as possible. Comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors are welcome. 
No money from drug or device companies is accepted. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This applies to the hosts, guests, and contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall James Aston, Dante Perez, Saj Survey, podcast producers, the University of North Texas, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine, or any guests or contributors to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. This podcast is HIPAA compliant. While you may give your email address to make comments or requests, we will never share your email address or contact information with any third parties without your explicit permission.